This episode is sponsored by Kids Art Museum Project, also known as CAMP. CAMP is hosted by the Hammer Museum at UCLA, which believes in the promise of art and ideas to illuminate our lives and build a more just world. Proceeds from CAMP provide essential support to Hammer Kids programs, which offer free programming to thousands of children and their families throughout the year. Visit hammer.ucla.edu forward slash camp, spelled with a K. On this episode, we have Sandra Nelson-Winkler. Sandra is a natural-born healer with a passion for the arts that she celebrates as a producer, writer, director, and actor. She's a Reiki master, an advocate for at-home births, and a counselor to end-of-life patients at the Donna Karen-founded Urban Zen Integrated Therapies Program. She's fluent in French, Spanish, and English. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us on the show. No, thank you. Well, I'd love to... um, go back and have you talk a little bit about your family. Uh, I understand your grandmother was from Switzerland. Yes, yes. The Zurflu side of my family was from Zurich. Uh, I'm a bit of uh, a mishmash, definitely melting pot person, um, like so many of us. My, My grandmother was Swiss. My um, grandfather was from Sweden on my father's side. My mother's mother was Russian and my mother's father was French Caribbean and part Vietnamese. And my mother born in Paris. Amazing, wow. Um, That's uh, just about every corner of the globe represented. (laughs) It's spread out there. your grandmother, um, your Swiss grandmother, she mm-hmm. was a nurse and um, also an herbalist. Tell yeah. us about that and your experience of that growing up. So she definitely was from, an, uh, again, another, another time, another place. She was an herbologist. She was a nurse. She treated uh, people with, with natural old remedies, mostly flowers and herbs and oils. Um, She was a big believer that food heals. When I was very young, she recommended a book to me called The the Kloss Method. And it's a massive encyclopedia of uh, 1300 pages of all natural remedies. And she knew that I was always interested. I was always at her side. She was quite a bit older. I had older parents, hence older grandparents. So she, she was not with us as long as I would have liked, but I got a real sense from her that um, the healing, her method of healing was, was true. And uh, I just wish I had learned more from her, but she was a wealth of that healing wisdom. Yeah, man. And that probably impacted your father's decision to be vegan? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my father was not was not a hippie by any means. He had practices like taking saunas, doing skin brushing, green drinks. We grew up drinking. We called it the monster mix um, because uh, we, of course, we didn't like it at the time. But my father was doing green smoothies and green drinks when we were little kids, and uh, it was just. We, we were we were considered oddballs for that and how and how we ate um and and my parents did not raise me and my brother as vegans um they let us do our thing and your parisian born mother um of half russian lineage um believes in fasting 
Yes, she is, she's a typical Parisian woman who, um, um, you know, the, the, the new craze of intermittent fasting, I think French women invented that with having a cup of coffee in the morning and then they don't eat anything all day, right? You're familiar. And then uh, they just have one meal a day. Um, so, you know, we could, there's so many arguments to say that that is not necessarily the most nutritional, but my mom was not the typical French woman in that she did not cook. Um, it was really to avoid any, any time uh, in the kitchen. She was not interested in food per se, unless it was served to her. Okay. Okay. Um, so you grew up in a bilingual household. You're fluent in French and English, and you picked up Spanish along the way. Well, my parents met in Mexico City. My mother migrated to Mexico after World War II. Their only common language was Spanish. So actually, we had Spanish, English, and French was our first language because my mother didn't speak English. She learned, my mother learned English through us, through our bringing it home from school. But wow. um, she was a French teacher. Uh, my father was a Spanish professor. Um, so the, those languages were really what we spoke at home and then English, of course, at school. So I was born in the States, but my father spent quite a bit of time working in Mexico. And we were also in South America, some in Cali and Bogota. And uh, so I always said that, that Mexico was my segunda patria. I always had a real affinity with Mexico. And I just had such a connection with the Latin culture, always had. Um, my father gave me a great love for it and always felt like an outsider in the U.S. That's amazing. And it makes a lot of sense, though, given um, your parents' uh, cultural orientations and how that was comfort for you. I, I definitely know that my parents would have gone back to Latin America um, had certain life events not happened. At one point, my father wanted to go back to Colombia specifically. They had a very good life there. He had great friends there. Uh, but we had an experience, uh, a, a kidnapping attempt with myself, where they actually mistook me for someone else's daughter, but uh, they were afraid to go back to Colombia, unfortunately. And my father also was held up at gunpoint uh, at one point um, after a, a transaction at a bank. How old were you when the kidnapping happened? I was young. I was six years old. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. traumatizing. It was interesting and probably my age helped it not be as traumatizing as it could have been. Yeah, it's an astute observation, but you're spot on, yeah. I think had I been older, even just a few years older, it would have been far more, I, I, it was, because it was done in such a way, it was, it was such a ruse in the sense that they were, they were pretending to be military, which is not uncommon. Um, but uh, I was a good little girl and, and didn't have any, any reason to question, but in retrospect, I saw how much you know, when I heard more of the details from my, my mother and what it was like for them. But again, I was mistaken for someone else. Um, so nothing, nothing horrible happened. And I'm sure it had an impact on, on me, but it made my mother 
extremely feel fearful always around me. So that was more of the impact was my mother's reaction. Wow, that's powerful. Um, you grew up mostly in Arizona? Correct, correct. And you left home at 16? I did. I moved to New York City at 16, uh, graduated from high school early. Um, Tell us about that. What, uh, what prompted that decision? Again, being, being the outsider, we were, we were not the normal family. Tucson was not what it is today. I, I adore Tucson, but at the time, if we were around just the university, my father was a professor there, if we were around the university folk, that was one thing, but anything outside of that, we were considered weird. My mother didn't speak English, so they'd hear her speak French, and they, they would always say, what are you speaking? That's so weird. No one was familiar. It didn't, it didn't have the, the French glamour because um, people didn't know what my mother was speaking. Plus, she's very petite and dark, and they considered her Mexican. More often than not, people thought my mother was my nanny. So there was definitely that sense of, I do not belong here, and I will fit in more in a city. As soon as I could, I made a deal with my father. I would do some, some college in Tucson, which I was able to do at a young age. And then I moved, I moved to New York and worked a night shift at a law firm, went to school during the day and uh, was acting. I had already been acting in Arizona in regional theater and that had always been my passion, was continuing writing. I was doing a lot of performance art in the East Village. So it was a very full, interesting, certainly a change from Tucson and, and what I was looking for. So it was the, uh, the allure of acting that got you to, or uh, that made you want to pursue New York. Absolutely, absolutely. The arts in general, uh, I had been doing performance art and acting and always thought I would not be involved in, in the television world. I was really dedicated to theater and, writing for theater, but um, there was that draw of making a living, which is what ended up bringing me to Los Angeles. So um, when did you make that move to Los Angeles? I made that move for, it was really a job that brought me here, a, a TV pilot that didn't go. So that was in the 86 is when I first came for a job and I was doing the bi-coastal thing, keeping my my Hell's Kitchen apartment before it was Trendy Hell's Kitchen uh, and tried to make that work for a few years. And then of course, just the steady work here kept me here and here I am in Los Angeles. <laughs> so a bit of a relocation. So um, you came out to LA, the pilot for the show, the, the show didn't take. Did you continue more on uh, in the television side or did you look at live performance and theatrical? I was doing I was doing live performance uh, still. I did a, a touring show uh, of a Tennessee Williams play with Lauren Bacall. Um, I, was, I was sort of doing that type of theater. Um, and Which play out of Curiosity Glass it Menagerie? Was, it was Sweet Bird of Youth. Oh. No, it was Sweet Bird of Youth. And the, the television jobs just started coming and um, I always considered myself very fortunate in the sense that being having the longevity and being able to continuously support myself was, um, I, I don't wanna say it was my goal, but it allowed me to, to pursue other, other interests. 
and uh, I was I was a working stiff in a lot of different television shows. I was the queen of the movies of the week, which don't really exist anymore. Um, I always played the neighbor, the girlfriend, the sister, and um, one of the shows that ironically took me back to Paris was a late night drama, uh, which kept me busy for a couple of years. And that was a, an amazing ensemble experience. It was a spinoff of the Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock Presents series. It was called Scene of the Crime. And that was eight actors from different countries playing different roles every week. Some of these television acting jobs maybe not as fulfilling as a performer, but they certainly fed other areas and allowed me to, to continue all of my interests. Great. Well, and um, some of those interests included exploring Sufism. And uh, you did some work with Pierre Vallayat. Yes, yes. Share with us about that. I had a teacher, an amazing acting coach named Geraldine Barron in New York, and she was uh, a student of Pierre Vallayat's for decades, since the 60s. And I was introduced to Pierre Vallayat through her, did a weekend workshop, was starting doing meditations and different Sufi practices. You know, um, as you talked about your family background, I see a strong healing lineage. And I wonder, is that what brought you to study um, and become a Reiki healer? There's definitely that draw. It's always been challenging for me to turn the healing into a business endeavor because my effort is for community. I used to do Reiki circles in my living room. It's uh, certainly clear your generosity of spirit with regards to, to healing. Um, and I actually see two artistic themes in you. One is the healing arts. The other is being a storyteller. And, and the two are really intertwined. Both require empathy and a love of humanity. And so, you know, you're being the dramatic arts <laughs> and the healing arts are very much, you know, they're, they're parallel tracks for you. And they, you know, like a double helix where they are part of your, they intertwine and that's like a part of your DNA. It is, it is a part of my DNA. There's no, there's no doubt. Um, it's interesting. I, I feel like I'm still, I'm still connecting it all. And um, I'm, I'm finding the, the, the perfect combinations of, of how to have the different, the different practices, modalities really connect together. And um it comes down to one, one bottom line. It, there's a connection with the humans we're working with. Yes, so yes. Uh, even through the technology, uh, it is all about the human connection. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know in addition to acting, you're a producer and you're a writer. And I'm just curious, like um, from the healing side, the stories that you are drawn to, um, is there a healing element? To them? Oh my goodness, Asim. There, there's so many stories and films and books that, that come to mind. There is a healing in, in every story uh, for me. Um, share with us about the decision to start a family. Ah, well, I was the woman who wasn't sure I was going to have a family, to be honest. Yeah. I wasn't completely, and it's not that I didn't have uh, the desire. 
I was not the baby crazy woman like some women are. I was not pining to have children. For me, I had always been about the work and, uh, and it just never seemed to happen at the right time. So I was an older mom. I had my daughter at 35 and it just was, it seemed to be the right time. Um, uh, I had gotten married and there you go. It, it all, the rest, the rest is history. But, uh, I, I do feel that I, I always say, I always say to people, including my 20 year old daughter, women can have everything, but not at the same time. I do feel that to be an amazing mom, something has to give to be a really connected spouse. Something has to give to be successful at whatever career one chooses something is going to suffer so i did i did change some things and i was also not in a marriage where uh there was real equality and stability so i did make career choices to uh i had to reprioritize and uh it was the absolute right thing to do vis-a-vis -vis my my children and and that decision, that chapter. So, but it's it's definitely a big a big decision. I didn't take I didn't take lightly, and uh, one of the most fulfilling fulfilling chapters. And most um, women are juggling two balls between like family and work, but you also had kind of this third access because um, you had this healing side to you that that it needed to express itself. If you weren't doing it, you weren't you weren't self-actualizing as, as Sandra. So, um, and you tried to make all this work and it's incredibly impressive because you've done some amazing things on the wellness track. You became a strong advocate for home birthing. But when I discovered I was pregnant, I realized, oh, home birth is really the right and true way for me. And I also think in general for women, we've gone so far away from the natural process of birthing. And I was amazed at the pushback I got in Southern California. Mm. And that, of course, when I'm told no, <laughs> then I, I'm, I'm going to go forward even more. So <laughs> That's not only did I know I was going to pursue the home birth um, fiercely, but I was also, I wanted, I started getting my midwifery license. I really looked into how to support women more since since it was there's there's quite a bit of an attack against home birth that became a real passion um i had two amazing home births yeah no, so there's still more i would like to do in the in the home birth world and and what i've what i've come back to is is again supporting the women, but it was a full circle for me because the home birthing um, was a very joyous experience. People always want to be around a baby and around a new mother. And there is there are more people that gather around the birth of a baby. And through my father declining and coming to his end, I realized very quickly that there was a similar type of birthing happening 
that happens continuously every second of the day, the, the passing of a soul, the end of life, which gets very little attention. And so I actually, being somebody who wants to help the underdog a bit more, I sh did a shift and it was, it was pretty quick, but I did a shift that um, brought me to doing end of life care. And this you've, d you've done with Urban Zen. Correct. I was certified through UCLA. UCLA has an amazing alternative medicine department and Urban Zen um, was started by Donna Karen, who was helping her husband who was suffering from cancer. And they really formalized their he natural healing modalities to help people who were suffering. I often, when I, when I have an end of life um, client, I spend more time when it's needed with the family members because very often they're the ones who uh, are truly suffering. Do, do you feel that um, you're, as a healer, you're interested in uh, these transitions, this um, coming into a new life and then transition to um, uh, at the end of life, um, do they drive or inform your craft as a storyteller? Are you more drawn to stories that represent that? Do you look for those beats, as it were, um, in, in a storyline? I think I look at that almost in everything I see. I, it can even be a painting. It is something because it's, it's a heightened sensation. How I was going about my daily practice and my busyness. Oh, I have to get my, I have to get my practice in. I've got to do that because that's, you know, I, that's, that's part of my ritual. I have to get my practice in. It's on the calendar. It's got to get done. It's, right. Right. No, I even have an alarm for my morning meditation. So I removed all of that and um, really having it be, trying to make it be far more authentic. There's always something. It's 11 o'clock. Oh my gosh. It's seems. Time the to meditate. The big, yeah, the left. <laughs> exactly. In the wellness space and being fascinated by those trends, there are some statistics that say that only about 4% of people actually meditate. And there's this, a brilliant description of meditation, which says that it's really the act of being comfortable with yourself. And I think this is why meditation is so elusive for so many. We're... It's very hard for us to be comfortable with ourselves. Correct. Going back to uh, the other the other thread in your life, um, I just wanted to see if I've explored this enough. Like, are there any other influences that you like to talk about that impact your craft as a as a storyteller, as a producer, writer, actress? Hmm. You know, I, I think that a lot of people come to a creative outlet from need, from urgency. So I started writing really passionately as a young child. Um, crazy things when I look back, things that, that had a, had a, uh, psychiatrist looked at 
God knows what they would have diagnosed me with or locked me up for, but it was very sexual. It was very, um, it was very mature. It was very outlandish. Uh, I was writing sci-fi westerns and, you know, at the age of eight, nine, ten. And, and what I think some people might say are damaging influences, I say, are, are um, impetus for finding one's voice. So I always try to encourage people who have a struggle to not externalize it, but to get it out in, in whatever form. For me, it's always been in some, some, some athletes tap into that and, and it really, it really feel, feeds a drive. Some businessmen, same thing. There's that drive. For me, it's been more in creative endeavors. Um, but so influences that have been childhood traumas, childhood experiences, they have actually nourished me to to have the output to have the expression and i feel very grateful for all of that um it's it's a matter always of anything energetically that comes to us of of using it in a positive way yeah that's great i think the story the storytelling component of um uh which is why i was always very keen on not just writing the story but telling the story and when i directed a short film um i was also i was also pregnant and had a toddler but i remember it was this surge of of energy um, and it, it was like all, everything coming together and directing a movie, albeit a short, it is, it is a 24 hour job, but I almost felt a sense of a, of a high here. I was not just this powerful woman who is about to give birth, but I was, I was creating creating another entity in this in this short film that i had also written the the adaptation for from a play but i find that um again we're in such a good time for women to be taking the helm it is appalling that the numbers of women in those positions uh are are still so so low but i find that uh it's a really powerful time and I have so many stories to tell. I feel like I'm lining my, all my ducks up in a row and some of the things that uh, were put on pause are now sort of getting, getting amped up. And uh, it's a really powerful time for women. Um, and I, th I think that the support is there. There's, there's still many, many contradictions going on, but, uh, but there's, there's great power in taking the story and taking it all the way through. And uh, it's an exciting time. I love that. And I can certainly identify with that sense of uh, fervor that you described and that kind of high. 
and you find you can do these superhuman things like sleep only three hours a night and then when the alarm bell does ring at 5 a.m you're like jumping out of bed like okay i get to do this now the gen the energy is amazing i wrote recently um i'm working on several projects but one that i was able to give quite a bit of concentrated time last week and it was amazing how the once it once it flows you it's really hard to tap it down and that's the beauty of of writing and there's a discipline to it but there's also once the geyser begins it's it's really incredible and it's hard it's hard to stop well it almost feels criminal to turn the spigot off right right (laughs) because you're destroying this thing of beauty that's flowing out of you right right and that's where frustration on my end does does still exist because i do have obligations that that take me away from from that from that endless flow but uh but it's it's such an amazing thing to to experience and and there's just so much of that in the in the human psyche to begin with so mm-hmm. it's great to tap into that yeah 100% you have very good email signatures <laughs> i've always been a fan of you only live once but if you do it right once is enough I find, you know, you know, it's like, it's always, it's more for me than for anybody else. So maybe sometimes I, I will find one that, uh, that uh, I needed to hear that particular day, but it's not always, it all, it's not always perceived as professional, whatever that is. But uh, I always like to have a little, a little blurb at the end of my emails it's thoughtful it's it's what's on your mind and you're sharing that putting that out into the world building community it is what's on my mind it is what's on my mind if nothing if it's it's true that i i love whatever reaction it gives but but uh i know i know that uh i want people to have some kind of reaction to it and that's really what what I I love bringing people together. The the whole producing side of me is that bringing people together, of introducing the right people who who might do a project together one day. And there's there's just there's there's so there's creativity in that making an introduction. That uh, do, sorry, just an impulse of a thought. No. Did you? do a lot of that growing up in Arizona or was the fact that you weren't able to really do that that made you want to move on to the next stage of your life wasn't able wasn't able to do that and I I think it was there was there was a there was a familial toxicity also but there wasn't there was an atmosphere there that was very that was very small yeah no, that makes complete sense. So the email signature I quoted just now is the more recent one. Prior to that, you had, there is no Wi-Fi in the forest, but I promise you will find a better connection, which sounds very <laughs> reminiscent of Walden by Thoreau. Correct. Yes, exactly. 
So of course, these are not these are not my quotes, and I hope I hope I always do them justice by putting them in quotes or at least changing the type so it's not it's not uh, I'm not plagiarizing anyone. But uh, yeah, it it is all about connection for me. That's the truth. Yeah. Well. I mean, that, that informs your being a healer and also, you know, what does being a storyteller do but bring people together and, and create that sense of community because we're all resonating with this story. We're all identifying with the character's plight. So um, that's brilliant and that is so you. Well, thank you. You are from one from one uh, connector to another. Sandra, thank you so much. This is really exquisite. Thank you, same. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.